Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, especially if you've come along to hear us address some of the big questions of life in this Ask God series. This is our second week, and I have the challenge of talking about possibly the biggest question people are asking, the question of suffering. Now, before we get into it, let me introduce myself. I'm Ben, and my wife Jess and I have three children. We've lived in Bristol for four years now, and before that we lived in London, where our kids were born. Now, when my children were younger, they loved it whenever I fell over, got hit, or in some other way damaged myself. The more slapstick and the louder my cries of pain and agony, the better. They would find it hilarious. If I could do a Norman Wisdom style tumble down the stairs, lying in a heap on the floor, groaning, that would be perfect. Now, it's not that they've got it in for me. Don't worry, I'm not being bullied by my family. It's just that small children don't necessarily understand the full consequences of things and how harmful or painful they can be. But real suffering, of course is no laughing matter. And the question we're addressing today is, how can a good God allow so much suffering in the world? In the news, we regularly see news about floods and earthquakes and other natural disasters. And we can ask the question, why God? Why is this all happening? Now, Questions are good, aren't they? Questions help us to learn and maybe understand the world better. So we shouldn't be scared of asking difficult questions. And it's going to be hard for me to do this question justice in 30 minutes, but I'm going to do my best. Now, it's important that we recognize that we all approach this question from different perspectives, from different life experiences. Some of us will be here today and the problem of suffering in the world is very much a philosophical question. For others of you, you're hurting badly right now. You may have experienced the tragedy of losing a loved one. You or someone you are close to may be suffering terribly due to a broken relationship or ill health or chronic pain, depression, or terminal illness. For you, this isn't just a philosophical or intellectual problem about suffering out there in the world. It's much closer to home. It is intensely personal. And this is very real for us at the moment as a church family. Andy, who leads the church has been down in Brighton this week visiting his mum. She'd had a stroke in the summer and has been in intensive care in hospital. And then in the last couple of weeks, she had pneumonia and then gradually went downhill. And then really sadly, she died on Thursday afternoon. I know there'll be others in the church who are suffering in different ways. Maybe they've been suffering for years with ill health, or maybe there's been some tragedy recently. Wouldn't it be lovely if becoming a Christian meant that life was trouble-free 
and there were no issues. Sadly, that's not the case. But we know a God who loves to come and meet with us where we are, whatever is going on in our lives. So this isn't just a philosophical question. It is intensely personal. And whilst there's no easy answers, and I don't want to say anything that sounds glib or trite, and there's maybe nothing that anyone could say that would adequately answer this question for you or give an explanation, I think we can acknowledge each other's pain and suffering. And hopefully in what we're going to look at today, we can find some comfort and encouragement. For some people, when they experience pain or suffering, it kind of leads them back to the philosophical problem. You could write it a formula like this. You know, if God is good and if God is all-powerful, then uh, there'd be no suffering in the world. That's, that's kind of the way people think. But the problem we've got is suffering does exist. So either there's no God or he must be unwinning or unable to deal with it. And then the pain of suffering that we experience can be compounded by what it might mean, leaving us feeling troubled or maybe fearful. Is life just random and meaningless? Are we being punished for something we've done? Is God powerless to do anything or does he not care? But it would be wrong for us to assume what this formula suggests, that because God is good and powerful that no suffering would exist. Perhaps there are reasons why suffering exists that we don't fully understand. So let's look at why God might allow suffering to exist at all. And just to let you know where we're going, we're going to talk about choice and purpose. And then I want to look at how God enters into our suffering to comfort us and give us hope. So firstly, God could have avoided any kind of suffering at all by simply not creating anyone. What a simple solution. No people, no problems, no suffering. No one to cause any suffering and no one to suffer. I think that's quite a neat solution. I think if you were a programmer, you'd be like, that's, that's, a, that's a good kind of technical solution to the problems of the world. Alternatively, he could have made us just slaves or robots who would be programmed only to do good. Yes, I will make tea for everyone in the office. I will remember that Ben takes milk with one sugar. You know, wouldn't that be a wonderful world? But, uh, and that would also mean there was, there was no suffering. But God loves people and wants a relationship with us that is real. And for it to be real, it can't be forced or pre-programmed. It has to be our own decision. God has given us a will. In other words, freedom of choice. We have the ability to choose for ourselves. Now, I want to illustrate this by telling you the story of how Jess and I met. I, I apologize if you've heard this one before. Um, but it was the summer of 1995. If you can remember back that far, it was a, it was a hot summer. 
Um, I was a fairly new Christian, and I was at a conference, and they were trying to show uh, a video uh, at the conference I was in, and the video wouldn't work. And so the speaker said, um, okay, why don't you just turn around for a moment and chat amongst yourselves. So I tapped. uh, There was a rather beautiful girl in the row in front of me, and so I tapped her on the shoulder and, and said hello. Um, now, let's just press pause. Okay, now, we're, so the freeze frame. If you gave me a choice in that moment, could I, could I choose to compel, you know, if I had this, uh, you know, potion that would mean uh, this girl, Jess, would fall in love with me, would, would I ethically choose that? Yes, I would have. Okay, and let's press play again. Of course, I didn't have that option. But what happened was we we got into a great conversation, and then we fell in love at some point, however that happens. And then eventually, after many years, I convinced her to marry me, and we, we got married. And that's our story. Now, if I ever needed a convincing argument for the existence of God, which Jamie covered so brilliantly last week, it is this, that Jess, under no compulsion whatsoever of her own free will, fell in love with me. Yes, there is a God. It's a miracle. And the fact that it's a free choice is what makes it real. But, of course, the gift of being able to choose has massive consequences. Suffering is often caused by our own wrong choices or by the wrong choices of other people. Now, today is an anniversary, nothing to do with me or how long I've been married. Exactly 52 years ago today, so October, it is the 21st of October, isn't it? Yes, I'm on the right day. 1966, a huge coal tip collapsed and engulfed Pantglass Primary School, killing 116 children and 28 adults. Terrible tragedy. The public inquiry ruled that the coal board was responsible for the Aberfan disaster. One woman who kind of contributed, put money into the relief fund, wrote in and said this, I raged against God, but then I re- then realized it happened because of men, man's greed and incompetence. In his great little book, um, Why Does God Allow Suffering? Uh, I really recommend it. I'm sure you can get it secondhand if it's not in print anymore. Alistair McGrath says this, trying to pin the blame on God is a crude evasion of human responsibility. God didn't orchestrate the Aberfan disaster or the extermination of millions of people in the Holocaust. God didn't drop the bomb on Hiroshima or cause countless wars down through the century. People did. We did. And we can easily blame other people But what about the cost of or consequences of my choices? Think of it in this way. Who suffered or was exploited in order to manufacture the clothes that I'm wearing or the clothes 
that you're wearing. We can think, oh, I just go down to the shop and I get my clothes and that doesn't harm anybody. But maybe there's consequences beyond what we're aware of. We are responsible for the choices we make and we all have a measure of responsibility for the state of the world. Most people think that by now, surely through ethical and technological progress, we should have been able to relieve human suffering. But we haven't, have we? We can put a man on the moon uh, uh, nearly 50 years ago, um, but we can't end hunger and poverty and disease and human suffering in general. The first and last books of the Bible speak about a world where there is no suffering or pain. But in the in-between time where we are, the world is full of suffering. And why is that? Because God has given us freedom of choice and our wrong choices have contributed to messing things up. So we could legitimately ask, God, why don't you intervene? Even you know, When things go wrong, why don't you change it and uh, do something? God is all-powerful, but that doesn't mean he can do anything and everything. Now, that may sound shocking to you because you think, no, no, that's, that's wrong, isn't it? His choices are limited, not through lack of ability on his part, but from a decision to deliberately restrict his own options. God has restricted his own freedom for the sake of ours. And one one of the ways that he's done that is by being born and becoming subject to his own creation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God became incarnate. He became subject to his own creation. And if one of your questions is, has Jesus just come to make us feel bad? God has given us the answer. No, Jesus hasn't come to condemn but to rescue, to address what is wrong with the world. And you just only have to look at BBC News for one day to see what is wrong with the world. Grooming gangs in different towns and cities uh, in the country, exploitation around the world. We can see what's wrong with the world and God's given us an answer. Now, the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote this. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Our wrong choices that the Bible calls sin cause great suffering in the world. We need rescuing from ourselves. Jesus suffered and died on the cross and rose again 
to deal with the problem of sin. And more than any suffering you might experience, actually our greatest problem is the sin that separates us from the God who made us and loves us. So we've talked a bit about how God has given us choice and how uh, that could partly explain the amount of suffering in the world. But you might be feeling like that doesn't fully answer our question. Or you might be wondering, is, are you saying suffering's just our, our own fault? No, it's not. Some suffering it's easy to see the cause of. And with other suffering, it's much harder to explain. But perhaps there's a purpose in suffering that we don't fully comprehend. To suffer is to be human, to feel pain. If we stop feeling, then we cease to be human. We tend to view suffering as inherently bad, but actually we embrace suffering all the time. And it never seems good. It's not that we seek it out, but think about a parent who gets up countless times through the night, losing sleep for the sake of their child. They're willing to suffer. They're willing to, you know, mop up sick and uh, all manner of things. They're willing to suffer in many different ways because they love their children. I heard this story, I've heard it actually a, couple, uh, a number of times recently, about Mother Teresa um, and her kind of, uh, her sisterhood relied on donations um, as they were serving uh, people with leprosy um, in Calcutta. Um, they relied on donations for practically everything, including their shoes. Um, and when a load of donated shoes would come in, Mother Teresa would go through them all and consistently choose the worst pair of shoes for herself. And as a result, I think we've got a picture here, as a result of constantly choosing the worst uh, pair of shoes, her feet uh, became more and more, uh, her feet uh, deteriorated. Why would you deliberately suffer for other people? Because you love them and because you want to serve them. Suffering is never good in itself, but God is able to use it for good in a number of ways. One way is to get our attention. So people start to think about God when they hit a crisis. They may, when they're going along fine, they may think, I don't need anything, I don't need anyone. But the loss of a loved one or a broken relationship or some other pain in their lives might cause them to stop and consider. Or think of it this way. If we have a toothache, that pain acts like an early warning system that something needs to be done. And the same is true when we make wrong choices. The pain of suffering shows us something is wrong and action is required. Now, it's not always easy to see at the time what God is doing. But just because things seem pointless to me, it doesn't mean that they are. Maybe we need a different perspective. 
I don't know whether you've ever watched people who are really good at chess. I'm not really good at chess. But if you watch people who are really good, they're thinking like five moves ahead, whereas I'm only seeing the next move. Imagine that life was like a chess game of much greater complexity, where God was thinking an infinite number of moves ahead. Wouldn't there be the possibility that he might let something bad happen in order that something better might come about. So like going to the dentist, that seems like a very bad thing. Um, And it may in itself be painful, but perhaps that will mean healthier teeth and no ongoing pain. So something painful can actually lead to something better. Or... uh, Another way that we can find purpose in suffering is that it can, even unwanted suffering, can help us grow and mature. David Watson, who was a Christian uh, and knew he was dying, wrote this shortly before his death. Millions of Christians all down through the centuries have become more Christ-like through suffering. I know of many who have an almost ethereal beauty about them refined through pain. In fact, those who have experienced more of the love of God than anyone I have ever met have also endured more suffering. When you crush lavender, you find its full fragrance. When you squeeze an orange, you extract its sweet juice. In the same way, it's often through pains and hurts that we developed the fragrance and sweetness of Jesus in our lives. I think that's something of what Mother Teresa was doing by choosing uh, bad shoes. Let me be clear. God doesn't make us suffer on purpose. He's not like some cosmic child with a magnifying glass just watching us uh, squirm. But when we do suffer, and even when we can't understand what what is going on, God is working for our good. Now we're going to do an exercise Very unusual, I know, but I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think for a moment. What is the worst thing that you've ever had to go through? Just take a few seconds to think about that. Then follow-up question. Did anything at all good come about as a consequence? For me, when I was a teenager... Um, my dad nearly died. Like, like Andy's mum recently, my dad, when I was a teenager, had a brain hemorrhage and nearly died. And he was paralyzed down one side. It kind of radically changed his life. He uh, was no longer able to work. Uh, he's never regained the use of his left arm. And it's, and it's severely affected him. It's, it's hindered his life and my mum's life. Um, And that was terrible for him, and I would never have wished that on him. However, it was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened for me and my relationship with him. He he worked very hard. He was often away working. Um, But when he was unwell, through, through my late teens, he was at home all the time. We forged a friendship. I saw a vulnerability in him that I'd never known before. So even though that suffering for him was awful, actually something good came out of it for me and I, and I hope for him. 
700 years before Jesus was born, God inspired a man called Isaiah to write these words that speak about what Jesus would do. It's written as if these things had already happened, but such was God's plan to come and identify with our suffering. It says this in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Yet he was pierced for our transgressions, the things we've done wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You may not yet have a satisfactory answer to the pain and suffering you're feeling, but Isaiah tells us that God himself knows what it's like to suffer. He can totally identify and understand what you're going through. God has taken our suffering. When you feel sympathy, it's because you understand you've been through the same thing that someone else has. When you are trying to empathize, you are imagining what it must be like for someone else because of what they're going through, but you've never been through it yourself. Jesus Christ doesn't empathize with our sufferings, trying to work out how it must feel for us as humans to go through sorrows and suffering. He already knows. He had been through them himself. God doesn't just know about suffering. He's experienced it firsthand. What is God's answer to a broken and hurting world? What's his answer to the abused, the trafficked, the exploited, the abandoned, the orphaned, the widowed, the addicted, the hopeless? It's Jesus, that God himself would come and suffer with us so that he understands what it is to be human, that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses and frailty. Jesus went through suffering and death for a purpose, to win something for us so that we can be reconciled to God. The one we rejected and said, no thank you, we're gonna do it our own way, we don't need you, said he was gonna put himself in our shoes, shoes that would lead him to suffer and die. We still don't have a perfect answer, however, we know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he, he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes all of our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. And why would he do that? For love. I don't know if you've seen the film, The Passion of the Christ. The Passion is traditionally the last few hours of Jesus' life. And the word passion means suffering. The film is a fairly harrowing and gruesome but accurate account of Jesus' suffering on our behalf. 
and you can read it in the latter chapters of the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In John's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, we read that Jesus was flogged and beaten. He was whipped with a whip that was made of strips of leather that would have had bits of bone and metal embedded in it. And as the whip went onto his back again and again, it would have shredded his back. It would have torn flesh and muscle. It was horrific, the suffering that he went through on our behalf. After that trauma and exhaustion, his body in shock, he was then forced to carry his cross to the place of execution. And then hanging on the cross, not only the agony of the nails driven through his hands and feet, but the gradual asphyxiation, uh, the, the, the pressure of his body being held up and the pressure that put on his lungs, hardly being able to take a breath, gradually the life ebbing out of him. And not only that, but the horror of God's judgment and anger against evil poured out on him. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we read in Mark. Jesus articulates our cry. In his moment of greatest suffering, he most identifies with us. No amount of suffering that we could ever go through will compare with what he suffered for you and me. Maybe you've had times where you've felt, where are you, God? Why me? Why is this happening? In those times, the Bible tells me that God is with me. Paul wrote in his letter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Martin Luther said, the love of God is revealed through the suffering of Christ, not despite that suffering. The passion of Christ that he suffered because of his passion for us. He did it because you are worth suffering for. Like a parent who suffers for their child, Jesus suffered for you and I. There will be times where we simply don't understand. Right now, I have friends who are suffering deeply. There are no simple answers but in our darkness, God can shine a light. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Jesus went through the horror of death, and he's with us to bring us comfort and hope. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean we can avoid or escape suffering in our lives. Jesus certainly didn't. Job in the Old Testament went through 
catastrophic suffering. And at the end of his life, we read how God blessed him more than the first part of his life. But we aren't promised that in this life. But as Christians, as people who have lived after Jesus did, we have something greater. We have the hope of heaven. Peter, another of Jesus' friends and disciples, wrote a letter saying that we have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just suffer and die on the cross to pay for sin, and that was it. He rose again to life. Even though we suffer grief in all kinds of challenges, that hope is enough to keep us going in the face of suffering. Now, is that just wishful thinking? C.S. Lewis wrote, that they say of some suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. It says in Revelation at the end of the Bible, God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is our hope through faith in Jesus Christ. No more shame, as Clary said earlier on during the worship. This is the ultimate defeat of evil and suffering. Heaven will be so wonderful that even our greatest sufferings and sacrifices will become precious steps on our journey to glory. God has given us the gift of being able to choose whether we return and whether we respond to his love. We've seen that suffering can have a purpose, even if we don't understand. And we know that God himself in Jesus came to suffer for us to show how much he loves us. He can comfort us in our present sufferings and his resurrection gives us hope that one day there will be no more pain, suffering, or anguish. So there we go. My time's gone. But you may still have questions. and You may want to consider what I've said further. As I'm finishing, if the band could come back, that would be great. You can read more in John's Gospel. We have these available at the back. They're free to take. And you can read that account of Jesus' death and resurrection from John chapter 19. I encourage you to do that. Or I'd encourage you to read the first chapter from this book called Searching Issues, written by Nicky Gumbel. These are on sale at a reduced price of five pounds each at the back. The first chapter is about suffering. Uh, I'd encourage you to read that. Or if you've still got questions, you may want to come along, for the, uh, along to the next few Sundays as we address other questions related to this. How can we respond today? You may be going through terrible things right now, and you need prayer and you need someone to talk to, then 
in a moment, we'll give you an opportunity that if you want to do that, you want to come forward to talk to someone and receive prayer. You need comfort, you need hope from God, then there'll be people available to pray for you. Or you may be here and you, it may be the first time you've ever heard it. The great thing about putting your trust in Jesus is you don't need to know all the answers. You just need to have faith. You just need to trust what he's done for you. You can put your trust in Jesus today that he suffered so that you can know him and be with him forever, forever. So I'd, I'd love us to stand together and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And you may be a Christian already and you just want to pray this prayer along with me in your heart to reaffirm your faith and trust in Jesus. Or you maybe want to pray this prayer for the first time. And if that's you, I encourage you, it will be the best decision you could ever make. That if there's one person that you can trust with your life, it's Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the wrong choices I've made in my life. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you that you suffered and died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and be free to live for you. Right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Please fill me with your spirit to help me to live for you. Amen.